What's the deal with disc golf? I'll try to find out on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. So we'll be talking tonight about something that I know absolutely nothing about, and that's the sport of disc golf. Yes, disc golf. You remember the movie The Hudsucker Proxy where um, Tim, Tim, what's his name? Tim Robbins. Having a senior moment there. Tim Robbins drew the design for a new toy, you know, for kids. And it was just a circle. Turned out to be a Frisbee. I believe my generation was the first generation to actually play with the Whammo Frisbee. And we invented lots of games with it. I remember playing uh, Frisbee baseball. Frisbee uh, Frisbee baseball, I guess that's what it was called. It was running the bases, but instead of batting a ball, you were throwing a Frisbee. Later in life, uh, my friend Steve Eller and I, probably around, we were about 18, 19 years old, we developed what we called Ultimate Frisbee. Now, I know there's another game uh, or supposed pseudo-sport, I guess it is, uh, called Ultimate Frisbee, but our version of Ultimate Frisbee was something very, very different. What we were doing was uh, we would go to a bar, and legal drinking age was 18 in those days, so we weren't doing anything. We weren't breaking the law there, uh, but we would have a few in the bar and then go out in the parking lot, which was on the main thoroughfare, and we'd throw the Frisbee around, and the object of the game was to throw the Frisbee high in the air over the oncoming traffic and uh, to run out in the road uh, and try to get <laughs> get on the get catch the frisbee without being hit. I'm sorry, I'm if this is a little awkward. I'm trying to copy uh, the link to the clipboard and uh, send it to Scott in the meantime because he's having some difficulty logging in. Uh, so the idea of the game was to not get killed while you were uh, trying to catch a frisbee in uh, oncoming traffic. And so you might be saying, well, it's a miracle that you haven't gotten killed with doing something that stupid. I assure you, that's not the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. So, yes, you are correct. It's a miracle I'm not dead. Uh, But that's all I know of uh, Frisbee sports or pseudo sports or games made up with Frisbees. I had no idea that uh, there were actual sports where people could uh, make a profession out of it, get paid for it. Um, and I, I was aware of some competition with, uh, with, with guys throwing Frisbees to their dogs. Um, I remember seeing something about that, but I didn't know it was a paid sport, something somebody could make a profession out of and create an entire sport out of, um, the games made, built around Frisbees. Uh, so I'm a newbie to this. I know nothing about it. My guest is here tonight. I see he's in the green room. I want to get him in in just a moment. I just before I bring him in, uh, I want to talk briefly about my sponsors tonight. And uh, this is a good one because mybookie.com is a sponsor of tonight's program. And mybookie.com is one of the most po- popular, trusted brands on the in the online game gambling community. <laughs> Its sportsbook offers an incredible variety of sports from American staples such as football and basketball to international sports such as KBO, rugby, and cricket. But I don't think they have anything involving disc sports. And this is the challenge uh, for people who uh, follow up on this sponsor's ad tonight. If you go there and you try to place a bet on something, see if you can bet on any disc sports and get back to me. I want to know about that. So uh, mybookie.com even offers wagers on entertainment and politics and simulated sports, such uh, video games such as Madden 21 and NBA 2K21. And if you're looking for a line on your favorite TV show, you can most certainly find it at mybookie. But I'm betting you can't find anything on disc sports. And again, I want to know my casinos, uh, my my bookies casino options. I'm having a rough time with the brain and the lips tonight. My my bookies casino options are as plentiful as its sports books. There are 27 different table games such as blackjack and roulette, and almost 300 unique slot slot options. 
77 of which are 3D. You can even play live table games and video poker. To get started, you just go to mybookie.com. There's a link in the description. And use the promo code MINDDOG when signing up. And what that's going to do is going to double your initial deposit right up to $1,000. So if you want to bet with, say, $100, you put $100 in, use the promo code MINDDOG, and it uh, immediately becomes $200, just like that, all the way up to $1,000, which becomes $2,000. You can't beat that. Uh, so my guest is here. So let's get get him right in and, and start talking about this and help educate me on the sport. Uh, Scott Stokely is an American professional disc golfer, uh, disc sports teacher, and author. He earned 17 world and national disc golf and distance titles during his professional career. <laughs> he also held multiple Guinness World Records for throwing Throwing, uh, throwing distance with both backhand and sidearm. Scott is touring for the 2021 PDGA season with 68 wins in sanctioned competitions. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your mind, and help me welcome in Scott Stokely to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Scott, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, sir. It's my pleasure to have you. Now, uh, I don't know how much of the intro you heard, but I know nothing about disc sports. It, it's a shock to me that there are professional organizations and somebody could make a uh, professional career out of disc sports. So can we start for novices like me who know nothing about it? Tell me what disc golf is. Is it is it golf with Frisbees, and is that what it is? So basically, um, yeah, it's... <clears throat> It's the same game as golf. Uh, we, we call them flying discs. Uh, Frisbee is just a brand name of whammo. So when the sport started, it was Frisbee golf because everyone used Frisbees. Now it's disc golf. And the, the sport is effectively played the exact same way, but you're playing on courses that are a little bit smaller, uh, far more obstacles and challenges because you can do more with a disc than a ball. Right. And the way you hole out is there's a contraption called a pole hole, which is basically a metal basket with chains hanging down. You strike the chains, the disc drops in the basket. That is the equivalent of throwing into the hole. And the, the sport's been around since 1976. It's been growing steadily for 45 years. There's now about 10,000 courses in the world. Excuse me, about 12,000 courses in the world, uh, around 10 million players. So it's it's not as fringe as it used to be. It's, it's, it's blown up. Uh, I, I'm gathering because I did put post on Facebook and uh, if anybody had played it or knew anybody who played it, I think I got about 10 responses. I have several thousand followers, but uh, it still surprised me that 10 people uh, were really adamant that I was kind of naive for not knowing about it. So that's so some people know about it, but I did not. And yeah. I'm still learning about it. So it seems... Um, I've seen the cage or the the basket. Is what is that? What it's called? A basket is a cage. Yeah. What a slang term, but that yeah, we call it basket or cage. It seems like an impossible task to me because what I'm looking at, I think, if I have this correctly, there's a slit like uh, like a mailbox uh, size slit that you have to get the disc in. No, you actually just strike anywhere on the chains, and the disc will then the, the chains slow the disc down and it drops in the basket. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I did not. But it's a little a little uh, easier than hitting a, a mail slot. <laughs> yeah. I thought, man, the accuracy, uh, You, I would take forever to get one. I mean, I'd be playing a 20-year round of golf if that were my, <laughs> my situation. Well, so, where, the, Whereabouts are you located? Uh, sure, I'm Long Island. Uh, Long Island, New York, which I'm all the way out from the city. I'm on the North Shore and the east, uh, east end of Long Island. So um, I'm sure there are probably places around here that, that offer this kind of thing. I just don't, I'm naive to it, I guess. Yeah, I actually uh, was uh, staying up in Port Jefferson for a while. And uh, there, I ran an event in Long Island or Long Island. As Long Island. Correct. Long Island. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I ran an event out there. The, uh, the, the sport has taken off a lot more in rural areas. Uh, it was a little bit slower in some areas in the Northeast, just because, uh, if it's very urbanized, it doesn't always offer as much park space or, uh, land available, especially land that isn't being used for something else. I mean, there's not a lot of areas in the entire Western half of Long Island that have, you know, let's say 20 acres available for, undeveloped right right 
So oh, yeah. how, how how is it monetized? Are people actually paying buying tickets to come and see it like a spectator sport, like golf, like to PGA? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the prize money is not very significant, but a lot of it is uh, sponsors. You know, sponsors are a big part of it, just like anything else. I mean, you you put an event on on uh, on YouTube now, it's going to get hundreds of thousands of views every episode. So you're in front of a lot of people, and then you, you can sell ad space for the broadcast. People will come out to pay in person, but but prize money is not the biggest part of it. It's like a lot of sports. I mean, there was one year I think Michael Phelps was the highest paid athlete in the world, and I don't think he made a dollar swimming, right. but but you know endorsements and stuff. So most of the money that the players are making is coming from other avenues. What kind of physical attributes, uh, skills, um, kind of what makes a great disc golfer? What, what do you need? What, what's the uh, phys- physical characteristics that are going to go into making a great disc golfer? So it's the same. It's really the same as ball golf. Um, it is not a, a cardio sport and it's not a strength sport. Uh, just like, you know, if, if you play football and you play golf, both sports respect one another, even though it's entirely different uh, physicality, but it's a different set of challenges as well. And so it's really more akin to a sport like golf, where it's about coordination, fast twitch muscles, um, precision, accuracy, timing, uh, you know, keeping your heart rate low, <laughs> staying calm under pressure. It's not a game like basketball or football or hockey where you're, you know, tennis even, where you're going to be up at this elevated, you know, <laughs> elevated state. It's the exact opposite. It's, it's Mentally, it's the exact same game as golf. There's there's no difference mentally between the sports. Wow. Uh, wh- what about wind? wind? Can wind cancel an event? <laughs> no, wind's not going to cancel an event, but wind will make a huge difference. I mean, more uh, more so than a ball, that's for sure. Uh, but there's an entire skill set to playing in the wind. I mean, the players, the top players out in Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas are extremely hard to beat out there when it's windy. At the wow. same time, you go out to um, places in North Carolina and Virginia, the players can play in really thick woods, much shorter courses, much less wind, a lot more precision, very hard to beat the North Carolina players in North Carolina. It's, it's just- <laughs> There's a lot more variety in the types of courses in disc golf just because the terrain can vary from ball golf courses to deep woods to pretty much anywhere in between. So uh, let me make this uh, get clear on this. The North Carolinians have an advantage in North Carolina, but they are, are they like the dominant, uh, like the 27 Yankees of disc golf? <laughs> they're, well, they're dominant. They're, uh, here, they are the... Uh, uh, they're they're the Rafael Nadal, you know they <laughs> they get into their on they're very hard to beat in their area. It doesn't mean they're not good everywhere. Just like Nadal was good everywhere, but you, you get them on clay. Yeah, I think I, you're locked you know, locked up. The to, yeah, I think we're having a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. Can you hear me? Yeah, I think we're having a little Wi-Fi issues. Looks, if I'm not mistaken, can, can you hear me, Scott? Are you there? We need a refresher on the now, Wi-Fi. Now it's cutting out. Yeah. Are you? Um, How's that? That's a. a well, I hear you now. Talk to me. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, am I? Do I have this correct? Do you look like you're in your car? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm on the road. I'm permanently touring, That's so cool. we are. Be- um, yeah, we've never. I, I'm either on podcast or doing a podcast, probably six or seven days a week. It is never from a studio. Sometimes it's in a good, you know, good environment, but with the travel, it's always fitted in when you can. So I just ran an event in Richmond, Virginia, and then tomorrow we're heading up to Fredericksburg. Wow, how's the weather there? Is that springtime there yet? It's yeah, it's cold, but it's not raining. Right? Would would like ball golf? Would would they be able to uh, hold the tournament where you where you're uh, where you're doing this one the event that you're on your way to? 
right now this time of year? I mean, the, on the time of year, yeah. I mean, it's nice. It's I mean, it's you know low fifties, high forties, but oh. sunny. Okay, and not not too bad. Um, so, so how old were you when you first started playing? Not playing this game, but looking at it as a possible profession, uh, because that that really intrigued me. That you would get the idea. You know what? I could do this professionally. <laughs> how old were you when you started yeah. playing it, and how, how then? How old were you when you decided that you could do it professionally? So when I started playing my first round of golf, I, I actually played my first round on the world's first course when there was just one course in the world. So I started at ground zero, played my first round when I was about seven years old. Uh, but I didn't start playing every day until I was 11. And when I was 20, either 20 or 21, I decided to tour. Uh, the Basically what happened was is that I was working some – silly job i mean i was working at kinko's graveyard shift but going to college and i remember getting into an argument with my boss trying to get a day off like two months in the future and he didn't want to give it to me it was laying the guilt trip and i'm practically begging the guy to get it to take a day off of work and it occurred to me right around that time that if i stayed in college and kept doing what i was doing that i was going to be doing the exact same thing 20 years later maybe for more money well, definitely for more money, but I'd be in that exact same position. I wouldn't be in control over my life. So I decided that this is what I love to do, and I'm going to figure out how to make a living doing it. And wow. there was very little, yeah, there was very little prize money, but I figured out that I could merchandise on the road, I could run events on the road, I could teach on the road, I could get sponsors for myself, and so I was actually the first player to to buy buy a house playing playing disc golf uh, and by house i mean you know two bedroom 1200 square foot condo but for us in the 90s that was unheard of in our sport i mean the, now it's there's there's a number of players making six figure incomes they're doing fine but at the time it was brand new but really it was i didn't want anybody to tell me what to do with my life and my my avenue to do that was through the sport i just had to invent the ways to to make the money basically right, yeah and I, I don't care what size house you end up buying at any point in in your life if you get to support yourself doing what you'd love to do i think you're the ultimate success no matter how anybody else wants to define what success is i mean that's basically it being able to live life on your own terms and just doing what you love and and, and that's enough for you to to satisfy all the things you need in life I mean, who doesn't want that? That's the ultimate picture of success. And so that's an inspirational story. I think uh, I wish a, a lot of people could just do what you did and make that decision to say, this is what I love to do. I'm going to find a way to do this for a living uh, and make it pay and, and live my life this way. Incredible. Cool stuff. Um, yeah. It, it, we've actually told people this when we're traveling. So my, my girlfriend and I travel. Uh, we're, we're on the road full time. And we'll joke with them and we'll say, you know where we're going Monday morning? And they'll say, where? And we say, we don't, we haven't decided yet. We haven't talked about it yet. You know, I mean, there's tournaments, there's events. I mean, I schedule things that I have to do all over the country. But in between those things, there's, it's complete and total freedom. Wow. So we've literally left town on Monday morning, stopped for breakfast, pulled out an old fashioned atlas. Where do you want to spend the next three weeks? And just gone. And it's it's a freedom that, I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, they want that to be grounded. They want that, you know, stability. To me, the freedom is, or, the, or to me, the security is in the freedom. It's the freedom to not have any rules that I have to follow. I can just go and do what I want to do every single day. Right. Uh, is there... Um... Because in, in most sports, there is an age cap to where you start to not be able to do it anymore. Is there an age cap for what you do? Or is it uh, kind of like golf? There's a senior tour and, and all that stuff. What? Tell me about that. Is there is age an, an yeah. issue? Oh, yeah. I'm no longer competitive at, at major tournaments in, in the, open, the open field, not even close. Wow. Um, doing right now, I mean, I'm playing tournaments in my division, which is the 40 and older. Uh, or 50 or older, it's, there's not a lot of prize money. I think last weekend, 
I played a one-day tournament. I won $540 for first place. It, decent money, but it's not how I make my living. Um, I run seminars all over the country. Right. So basically, you know, right now it's I, I cap them at six players. I charge $300 a person. So, you know, I make $1,800 a day teaching these one-day seminars. You know, it's I'm not getting rich, but I'm not. I mean, I'm far from struggling. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm and right. I can do those. I do four or five of those a month and don't have to worry. You know, I don't want for anything, but I also don't. I don't have to. Uh, you know, kill myself in a cubicle either. I'm right. just. I'm- well, that I think is the, the most, that's the, the most attractive part of it is that, you know, whether it's a cubicle or anything, it's just being tied to a job you don't love. And which most, uh, unfortunately, most of society is tied to a job that they don't love. And they wonder why they they go home angry or live at home angry or go walk through life angry. It's because it's you don't love what your life is. So that, that's why I think what you're doing is a great success story. Um, I'm so curious about the sport, though. So I I read in your intro that you held uh, multiple Guinness World Records for throwing distance. What's a long throw like? Is it like golf where you're talking like a, a the drive is several hundred yards? What kind of distance are we talking about? Yeah. So I, when I first set the world distance record in 1995, it was 600 656 feet six inches, so almost 220 yards. Um, I rebroke my record in 1998 at um, 693 feet, three inches. And then I set a record for a different delivery. So those are both throwing the disc backhand, which is a traditional way of throwing a Frisbee. Um, then I reset the, uh, or uh, broke the record sidearm, which is the, the opposite delivery, where you're throwing kind of like a sidearm pitch in baseball. Um, I threw that one 568 feet. Wow. What's what's the uh, technique with that? You're getting your thumb on the end. Is it like a frisbee disc, or are they new? Uh, are they special? They are. They're specially made for disc golf. Um, ironically, the discs that I set the records with are nowhere near as they they don't fly anywhere near as far as the discs they make today. So they're they flew farther than traditional frisbees by a long shot, but the technology has evolved well past where where I was throwing. It's funny how no matter what, we always look for ways to kind of boost the performance, offensive performance one way or another. Is, uh, is I know this sounds like a silly question, but is right. there a perf- performance in- enhancing drugs at part of this competition? Like, could steroids help at all? Or any is there any, like, kind of way that you could cheat the game through substance or any of that stuff? And is it part of the game? You know, it's... It... I know that building muscle and building muscle mass is important to sports. You know, like, well, you're, you're similar age to me. You'll, you'll recall this is that back 20 or 30 years ago, there's lots of sports where the athletes in those sports never worked out. I mean, look at NBA players from 40 years ago. I mean, they were like 160 pounds soaking wet. Right. Right. And we've learned that if you're stronger, you do perform better, even in the sports where you don't think muscle matters. Um, Tiger Woods is the one who blew this open in ball golf because you don't need to have muscle to play ball golf. And it turns out there's an advantage. So there's certainly an advantage. But the thing about steroids, I believe with a sport like golf, let's just say golf, period, there's going to be a point of diminishing return if you get too big, where getting stronger is not going to help you any longer as opposed to, say, football or mixed martial arts, where maybe there would be. Um, I don't think that applies to our sport. So I would say building muscle helps, but I'm not sure the steroids part would add the benefit. Right. Uh, I'm wondering, wondering if there's any – because in baseball, it used to be the idea that um, that building muscle would not necessarily help, although then, you know, McGuire and, and Bonds and all those people changed that perception. Canseco, I think, was probably the most. Yeah. But, Tiger changed in ball golf too like they, they went oh this is not you know it, de- it definitely helps to hit the ball 50 yards farther um, yeah. than your competition but but again i i don't know if the, the steroids that additional benefit from steroids so the working out helps right. uh, baseball is still different baseball is not quite golf golf requires the level of precision and finesse and timing where i, I don't think it would help you um if it if it would i would you know well, there's no rules against it, but I don't think it would help. 
Right. Um, so you mentioned the obstacles. Uh, the traps are way different than normal golf, right? It's, you don't have like sand traps and stuff like that, do you? The, most of the obstacles have nothing to do with your footing. It has to do with uh, with trees. More than anything, it's going to be trees and elevation. So if you're throwing up and down hills with large, full trees, then you're you're hitting fairways that can be you know six to, to eight feet wide at times. Um, maybe a little wider than that but um it's really going to be about the trees the nice thing about disc golf excuse me one of the things that's so appealing to our sport is that if you put a disc golf course on a on a we call it ball golf on a ball golf course if you put the tee pad on a ball golf tee pad and put the basket on a green that is the most boring disc golf course nobody would ever play it because those fairways are so wide they're not even relevant to us. I mean, we're, we're going to be far more precise than that. That would be a boring course. What's a good course in disc golf is that piece of land that doesn't work for softball, doesn't work for soccer, doesn't work for ball golf. Like, it's just, it's out in the woods. And so the land we want that we prefer is the land that can't be used for anything else. So it, it makes it, uh, and, and a lot of parks have figured this out now, is that they have this, 50 acres they could all of a sudden turn into something that 300 people a day are coming out to use that would have cost millions to turn into another use right we got a ton of land like that out here or it's just like trees and rocks and all that kind of stuff like eastern part of the island i know is is uh I've, i've actually been out there and a lot of that would be well and there are courses out there yeah but i got i gotta find some yeah there's four of them in long island i just had my girlfriend look it up (laughs) <laughs> wow uh i i gotta i gotta check it out i definitely have to to look at it. now um with the uh the teaching uh you teach that what what are the is that like it's you are dealing with kids you're dealing with adults who are you teaching it to yeah so, so it's uh, it's open to everybody but it's mostly adults um just because i i mean i charge a little more than most parents would pay for their kids to come out um, it's the teaching is just it's no different than than ball golf or tennis or anything else. It's like if you don't have the correct mechanics, you're swimming upstream. It's going to be frustrating. You're going to have a difficult time. As, as soon as you get someone to swing a golf club correctly, it doesn't make them good, but it means they can get better. Right. And it's going to be a lot more fun because it's not as frustrating. If you're swinging the club wrong, I mean, golf's a borderline not fun. <laughs> no, it's torture. Borderline, not fun. It's suicidal. That's what it is. If you don't know how to, do it. yeah, <laughs> and it's the exact same thing with the disc. So, if you're throwing your disc, you know, eighty yards, ninety yards, and then we can get you throwing one hundred and thirty yards, that's a like the difference between being able to par holes and and not. So it, that's really what the, um, you know, what the mechanics do. But it's, and of course, you know, being more accurate and, and having better precision as well. So when people come out to the seminars, they spend a full day. We break down all the different aspects of the game, driving, approaching, putting, you know, getting out of trouble, mental game. Just, you know, it's, it's a whole one day package. It's, it's really cool. Did you say putting? That's it. Do you still call it putting, even though it's, it's, you're not using a putter? <laughs> it's just as frustrating and it's just as much, you know, drive for show, putt for dough is, and that's our sport too. Like if you can't make your putts, it doesn't matter how well you drive, you're, you're, you're going to struggle. It's gonna and be, it's eight, gonna 18 holes, right? 18 holes? It, it varies, but typically, yeah, 18 holes. But there's 21, 24, 27 hole courses, nine hole courses. And what would par be for like 18 holes? On a championship course, probably – so anywhere around 65 is fairly normal. Wow. It would seem, it seems a lot harder than it would seem to me just, just looking at it, that it would be harder than uh, ball golf, because I would think that that par would be like in the nineties. <laughs> Honestly, the, the parallels to ball golf are almost one-to-one. You know, if, if uh, a championship par 65 course, a recreational player is going to shoot nineties, or a hundred on. Wow. So it's, you know, and a brand new player would shoot, you know, 150, just like, you know, a new player playing ball golf is not going to break 150 right their first day out. 
So it, it's, you know, the, the parallels are the same. It's like a pyramid. The vast majority of players are recreational, followed by a much smaller group of club players, followed by a much smaller group of professional players who, you know, are, you know, the, the PGA, the course, the club pros, you know, the local champions. And then you have a very tiny minority of players at the top who are really playing a different game than everyone else. Wow. You know, it's like in ball golf, the touring PGA players, they're playing a different game than the local, the local club pros. Like and what is just high. Did it, do they get like a big following? Like, and I, I hate to, because I'm sorry if this is offensive in any way, lumping you in with other sports. But do they get like a, a huge following, like extreme, like Tony Hawk's, like skateboarders and stuff like that? Are there uh, people like like are golf disc groupies, for, for lack of a better term? <laughs> you know what? There, there are, but it's a different type of groupie. Most of the groupies play. So I wouldn't call them groupies. I would call them aspiring athletes who happen to play a sport that want to connect with or meet the players who are at the top of that sport. So they're not the groupies in the in the traditional rock star sense. Yeah, yeah. No, they're really just players who are newer to the game. But, I mean, just like in any sports, I mean, you have young male and female athletes. There's going to be an attraction there because – you're athletic and you're successful. And, you know, if you're winning, doesn't matter what sport you play, if you're excelling at that sport, you're you're an alpha within that community. Just by the nature of your success, you know, you're going to have the followings, for sure. Right. All right. At this point, I think it's a good point, it's a point to mention. We have the website scrolling through. It's just scottstokely.net. Yep. Uh, and uh, you just mentioned uh, the women. So I didn't even think about this until you mentioned it. Uh, is there a separate, like, you know, other sports, uh, separate divisions or is it co-ed women and men competing against each other? Or are they separate, like a women's PDGA and a men's PDGA? Yeah, so it's the same organization, uh, but there is a women's division. The women who play the sport are freaking good. <laughs> like, I mean, like our, our, the top woman of the sport, her name's Paige Pierce. And the vast majority of cities in, in, in America, she, she will would be the top disc golfer in that town, male or female. Wow. You know, there's always going to be a little difference in sports athletically you know, at the highest level, just because we're just built differently. It's right. But she's so good. It's stupid. So, <laughs> and, and not the only one, I mean, there's, there are lots of women on her tail and there's tons of teenage women, just like in the men's division who in a couple of years are going to be better than her because the sport's still evolving. So she's at the top. Now, Paul McBeth is at the top of the, uh, men's division and then the next generation is going to come knock them off just like in every other sport wow is it international like have you traveled outside of the u.s to go play yeah i've competed in japan a few times sweden switzerland germany uh it's it is borderline the national sport of finland right now <laughs> yeah, that blows yeah. me away. That would be a tough one because you're playing in ice most of the time. No. <laughs> so here's here's the statistic for Finland. This is the, the only way I can convey how popular the sport is in Finland right now. The ratio of disc golf courses per capita, right? Because they're a smaller country, smaller population, but the ratio of disc golf disc golf courses per capita in Finland, if you had that same ratio of courses per capita in Denver, Denver would have a thousand courses. Wow. So basically, yeah, they have 4 million players and, and a thousand courses in the country. Um, the map that, that shows the little icon where the courses are is practically just colored. <laughs> it's almost a pointless map because there's a course every eight miles. <laughs> I wonder why why that is, what the attraction is. I have some people from Finland on it, frequent guests, uh, musicians mostly, but I'm going to ask them about that. Uh, but do you have any clue to what the what makes it so attractive to Finland more than any other country? You know what? It's it's it, there's not a single country on earth where it's not growing. So uh. as they, you know, they're it's growing everywhere. But they had some really good promotion out there. 
uh, so that people help spread the word a little more, getting courses in the ground. But then it's just taken on, you know, a life of its own. But it's huge. I mean, it's not huge everywhere, but there's nowhere that it's growing or, or where it's not growing. Wow. And the, the Finnish players are really, really good, too. They're so professional. And technique-wise, they're, they're like, like they're good. <laughs> they're wow. So- uh, well, I want to talk about that technique because I'm uh, I'm really interested in what it is. Is it is the media uh, covering it at all? Like ESPN two, ESPN ninety seven. Is yeah. it is it if they have it on, on ESPN? It was just on ESPN um, ESPN two like two weeks ago. There was a tournament on. Um, How clueless I am! I feel really naive about this stuff. I got to tell you. No. <laughs> So the thing about about our sport is because of the age of the sport and the age of the players that are coming up, then the necessity to be on traditional television is not something that we even, I don't say we don't care about it. Of course, we, we'd like to be on national television, but a generation ago, if you weren't on ABC, NBC, or CBS, you were invisible. Right. And the world's changed. It's, it's just not like that anymore. You have a lot of major sports. They they already occupy their spots. They got their contracts. You know, getting on to CBS is you know it would be nice, but it's not required for us to to exist. It's, it's the same thing. You have a television show. You no longer have to be on television. Yeah. When you have, and and if you're older, you probably wouldn't even measure a show as successful if it's not on NBC, ABC, or CBS. But if you're younger, you're like, you you know that it's not really as big of a deal. So that's kind of where our sport is with social media and all the different ways of broadcasting and viewing the sport. It can be anywhere um, in, you know, YouTube being the main place and it, it's getting tons of visibility. And so for our generation or, or the, you know, our meaning the younger generation, it's not, not as, as uh, critical. Right. Well, I wouldn't, I want to know because I actually want to see some clips and after the show, I'm going to actually uh, look up some clips because you're talking about technique. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, it like, you know how bowlers alter their body weight and, and get different balance and, and, uh, po- and points of balance and all that stuff. Is that involved or is it really just arm and, you know, are you using your, does your whole body go into this and finding like the center of gravity and all that kind of stuff? How does it, what is, what goes into the technique? I guess is the question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's precision timing. Uh, when you throw, you're shifting your weight, you're planting your foot, you're driving into the ground. And as you're driving to the ground, your hips rotate, as your shoulders rotate, as your elbow extends and your wrist opens up. And they all have to happen at the exact right moment to get the maximum amount of power. Again, just like ball golf, go go take a bodybuilder who doesn't golf and tell them to hit a golf ball. And they won't hit it half as far as a PGA Pro. Probably less than half as far. Because no. uh, the PGA Pro has timing yeah I, i'm not even so concerned with distance at this point i'm thinking you know because i remember when first time you handed a kid uh a frisbee they couldn't had no idea how to throw it and it just kind of like that and it would just like go into the ground and it takes forever to kind of just get one that just kind of levels off and and you can throw have a catch with somebody like that i'm just wondering you know how much how much technique can be taught in something like that and, and how much it's just getting that basic technique, the most important part of the sport. You know, it's there's correct mechanics. There's the correct form. Just like there's a correct tennis serve and a correct golf swing, there's correct ways to throw. And then you do those correct ways, you know, let's say, between four and eight million times over the course of 10 to 15 years. You're going to be, like, pretty darn good at it. Well, at least, at least you better be at that point. Uh, what's you know, your... What's your favorite course to play? You know, my favorite course is uh, there's a course in Charlotte called Rennie Gold. It's probably my, I think, the probably my favorite course. But there's uh, De La Viega in Santa Cruz is another one that's real special. Um, but, I mean, I've played approaching a 1,000 courses, and there's there's so many good ones. There's a course called Caliper up in north, the north, 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 north tip of Idaho. Like, it's Canada's, like, three throws away. Wow. The private course up there that's, that's like, just spectacular. I mean, somebody purchased the top of a mountain, removed, I forget what it was, 6,000 trees. 
built a custom course on top of a, a private course on top of a mountain that's mind-boggling good yeah well that's when when you were first uh mentioned idaho i was thinking ruby ridge and all because that's up there by and that stuff that i can't imagine putting a golf course of any or any kind of playing surface of, for any sport in that kind of uh it's like it's really rugged and you got to be a tough guy just to survive <laughs> one of the wonderful things about traveling i mean almost my favorite thing is that if you haven't got a chance to travel around this country it, it, there's not 50 states there's really about eight or nine states <laughs> regions you know i know if you live in long island it's oh you're nothing like the people in boston i know but well, I mean, we are i where i am you know uh is often can people often mistake i know you can hear the difference but yeah. people often mistake my accent for being a new english new england accent and i got Conne uh, connecticut and rhode island just across the way and then you know massachusetts is up there so we are kind of lumped yeah, it's a region, right? But yeah. the culture of New England is nothing like the culture of the South. It's nothing like the culture of California. <laughs> uh, like, it's, they're, they're all different. And so when you mentioned Ruby Ridge, when you go to North Montana and North Idaho, that's real. Like, that is a, there is a culture of people up there. Uh, and I like the people everywhere. Everywhere I go, I find things about the people that I like. I don't care what they, I don't give two shits who they vote for or who they pray to. Like they're interesting, good people trying to live their lives, but they are absolutely <laughs> survivalists. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they actually <laughs> I, the the wisdom I heard up there. I was we were actually staying um, at a separatist like compound because um, of COVID. We were camping, so they they had camping spaces, so we we weren't like staying you know, there, but we were on the property of these people that. They were honest to God, you know, they would go out to meetings and separatist meetings, just the real deal. And the guy said the most, the wisest thing I ever heard. He said to me, he said, you want to know how to fix the traffic problem in L.A.? And I said, how? And he says, how the hell would I know I'm not from there? That'd be just as stupid as them telling us how to live our life up here. <laughs> and I don't think he realized how deep of a statement that was. But like you step back and you're like that's there's so much truth in that and I, I just went like but i never would have heard that had we not been traveling around disc golfing right yeah i know and i love the idea so a lot of people in show business can relate to to your life as well i mean that that living on the road i've spent years doing that too i mean in support of of one going from one town to the next and it is a unique uh learning experience or a unique education now i want to talk about at your website uh there's a first of all you you're an author right you have a book yeah so i wrote uh, my autobiography well the first of my autobiographies. It came out a year ago, December, called Scott Stokely Growing Up Disc Golf. Um, it is my autobiography up until I turned 30 years old. I'm 51 now, so there's more books coming. But it's about growing up in the sport, so it's half a history of the sport, but it's the history of the sport through my eyes. Right. Growing up, but the sport was growing up side by side with me. So, um, you know, it was uh, the, the sport used to be pretty weird back then because when it was new, it wasn't organized. It wasn't I mean, there were good athletes playing the game, but the level of professionalism wasn't quite the way it is today. It's, it's you know, it was new. Right. And so we called it the Wild West days. It was pretty wild. <laughs> it was pretty Wild West. That's cool to have those, those stories of the beginnings of the sport. What was it? Uh, uh, when you, when you first got interested in it, like, did you know the people who invented it or were you at the like grassroots moment of where the st sport started to take off? Uh, or was it already an established kind of thing when you joined? So when I first played, there was only one permanent course in the world, but no, I knew all the play. I knew everybody that invented the sport, invented the discs and random. Mean, these are all part of my, my family, my Frisbee family. The, the sports started before 1976. So the real quick background to how the, where the sports started was back in the you know 60s and, and especially into the 70s, there was a you know major counterculture movement going on in the country. And 
there were lots of people out there who were athletes. They were athletes. They were athletic. They liked competition. They were they were athletes. But a percentage of those athletes did not fit the mold of the traditional athlete. Because if you wanted to go on to college and play football or baseball, you weren't counterculture. Right. You were clean cut. You there was that that, that just wasn't an appealing environment to a lot of people but they're just as good at sports and just as competitive as anyone else they just didn't fit that mold and those those athletes found other sports to participate in um the early days of skateboarding a lot of them were skiers you know and and frisbee disc sports and so there were tons of people all over the place who were very serious about disc sports and as it grew the different disc disciplines, which is distance or ultimate, which is like Frisbee soccer, uh, freestyle, which is doing, you know, the tricks with Frisbees. All these sports became, uh, over time, they became more specialized. Right. <laughs> and those sports. So disc golf took on a life of its own, with its own culture and own community, just like all the other sports did. There's some overlap, but we tend to be our own sports now. Wow. And that's... Uh I, before you came up, before you got into the green room, and I was trying to connect with you, I was trying to tell the story of an audience while to the audience while trying to communicate with you about 1976. Because you bring that up, uh, my, a friend of mine invented what we called ultimate frisbee. Uh, we did not know that there would be a, a there is something called a ultimate frisbee now. But what it was to us, we had just turned of drinking age then, and so uh, we would go to a bar have a one or two beers, and then go out in the parking lot and throw the frisbee around. And there was a major highway right next, right in front of the bar. And the, the idea was to throw it from the parking lot out over the street, so the other guy had to run amongst oncoming traffic, traffic going both ways, not get killed while catching the frisbee. And that was the goal of the game: to not get killed. And so, <laughs> but that, well, that was what we called ultimate frisbee in the day. And I know people were go, trying to be inventive. Uh, Disc basketball, disc, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but we never thought anything would kind of, of course, you know, trying to kill your, your buddy is not going to be a professional sport. But we didn't think anything would take off from that. So it's just unusual to see. Uh, so back to the book. Can people buy the book from your website? No, uh, well, they can, but it'll, it'll take you to Amazon.com. Okay, so I'll put a link directly to the to the Amazon site then to, yep. for people to buy the book in the in the show notes. Um, uh, now, I know you host a podcast too, right? Uh, uh, tell me about the podcast. What what is it? Obviously, it's about disc golf. But what do you do? Do you have guests oh, on it? Huh? Yeah, it's 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 all over the place, but it's on purpose. It's 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 the idea that I'm really just entertaining myself. So. I'm talking to a lot of, you know, of the top disc athletes in the world, but also talking to a lot of the old pioneers of the sport who are also friends of mine. I'm also talking to uh, people that have nothing to do with disc golf. They can be involved in everything from artificial intelligence to cybersecurity to um, you name it. And, and I'm just people that I'm interested in talking to that wouldn't talk to me for an hour, except I get to put them on a podcast. And I also do uh, episodes where it's just me talking. Um, it's the history of the sport. Um, I've done a lot of work in the special needs community uh, with, with kids and adults with autism. I, yeah, you know I, I mean? want to talk about that. You, so, you, yeah. Uh, yeah, enlighten me exactly what kind of uh, things you're doing for autism awareness. Oh, I'm sorry, the, it cut out. Uh, did you I say, say uh, enlighten me to exactly what kind of things you do for autism awareness, because uh, that was one of the, the yeah. notes I had about you. Yeah, so what I did for the autism, I went to 280 cities, and I taught a class. Uh, I taught kids and adults with special needs how to disc golf. And the class was completely free. The, it, it, anyone that came out got a disc and a shirt. I funded the whole thing myself. Um, you know, some awareness was raised, but I always thought that was kind of vague. I was doing is I was actually hands-on bringing them out, giving them the equipment to play and teaching them how to play. And the idea was uh, more than anything, it was, um, it was about, oh, I'm sorry, we're, we're parked someplace and I just got to, oh, she's cleaning. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is my life. This is my life. You're never going to get me in a, in a studio. But I saw so someone was in the building and they're cleaning and they give me this, this kind of weird look because we're just sitting here. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that within the autism community, one of the biggest challenges I've seen are for families is isolation. You know, the, the isolation that comes with having a kid, especially a kid, but, uh, you know, an adult could be like a kid with special needs and autism because there's so much unpredictability to it that a lot of families tend to pull back and don't socialize as much as they probably should. You know, if, if, a, if going out to dinner at Denny's has the potential of being a disaster, it's easier to cook food and stay at home, right? And so a lot of these families find that, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing, but a lot of them find that they isolate and they tend to stick within their community. And the idea of my, what I was teaching was this, this is really cool sport that your kid or adult with special needs can do, but also the entire family can do it together and give you an activity where you can come out. That's the opposite of isolation. It's socialization because disc golfers as a community are the best. I mean, they're the best people I've met my entire life, not just disc golfers, just Frisbee, the flying disc communities. And so if a family has a kid with special needs and you bring them out to a disc golf league, they will be immediately welcomed, immediately embraced. The club's going to give them discs. They're going to learn their names. They're going to invite them back next week. You know, if you're, if the kid has a, a meltdown, nobody's going to care at a disc golf league. It's not our community. Our community will say, hey, I know that's rough. Can't wait to see David again next week. So I was trying to merge these two communities. And so my teaching the class was half instruction, but it was half giving them a reason to come out and try this great sport where they can uh, have a community that'll welcome them. Wow. You're a friggin' hero, Scott. I'm not, I'm not, I don't say that lightly. I mean, um, first of all, what you're doing, I think is probably the best way to kind of, uh, to uh, help people like that is because, uh, you know, they don't need necessarily money. They don't need, uh, any kind of like special or organizational things. So they need what you're providing is that, uh, feeling like they belong and feeling like, you know, not, not isolated and be part of something. And so I, Thank you for that, and I mean it. You're 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 a hero for doing that. A couple of things made me laugh about what you just said because you said flying disc community, and I think of the UFO nuts when you say flying disc community. <laughs> and then uh, you're not the first person in a car I've ever interviewed in this show. It's like this, and the first person was is quite a story. I, I won't get too much into it, but he was living he was living in his car at the time in a, a, a Target parking garage and using their Wi-Fi. And so when the person came out and waved to you, I was thinking of him because I think Target was kind of always on him. Like, what are you doing <laughs> living in our garage and using our Wi-Fi, scoffing off our Wi-Fi to do shows and stuff? But so the funny thing is, is, is it, you know, if you want to get technical, I'm homeless. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're, we're you know we're I think we're having a holiday in tonight. You know, Airbnbs and like you know we're not struggling. Oh, but yeah. when people say I'm at events, they're like, so where do you live these days? I point at our Jeep. <laughs> That's it. I mean, technically, I live in my car. I just don't sleep in it. That's the American dream in so many ways, though. It's just, you know, that's the ultimate freedom. And I, I, I just can't uh, celebrate what you're doing enough. I know it's not for everybody, but uh, for those who want it, you know, or and so many people who do want it are afraid to kind of follow that dream, live the life that they want to live. So I, I appreciate it. Uh, we are coming up on time here, so I want to com pro promote the stuff you're doing now. I, I asked you about the podcast, but when does it come out? How, how often do you publish it? Um, usually uh, twice a week, usually Mondays and Thursdays. Um, I try to put content out of some kind four or five days a week. So I do a, a lot of tutorial videos. Um, I've started doing uh, just videos about life on the road and touring on the road. Uh, the thing about social media, if, if, I don't know how actively you are in promoting yours, but you, consistent content is pretty much the key to everything as far as getting yeah. eyes on you. So it's cool cool stuff so uh and i look forward so you have a youtube channel as well right so yeah Scott Stokely youtube channel there's a hodgepodge of stuff there the podcasts are, are fun 
lot of disc golf stuff, a lot of just fun stuff, a lot of social. I mean, I'm just active. I mean, I'm, I don't stop. <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. Uh, and if, if I'm uh, over the line, you can tell me is, uh, is there a, you know, in football, Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. In, in baseball, we had Babe Ruth for a long time. Now, I guess Barry Bonds. Uh, in foot basketball, we had Michael Jordan and uh, LeBron. And uh, is there a greatest of all time in your sport? And are you it? <laughs> I I am not it. Um, I think that um, the the this article came out where they were statistically trying to rank the best of all time, and they and they stuck me in in the top ten, which I was plenty pleased with. Um, at the time I retired, the PDJ or Disc Golf Hall of Fame voted me the, the third best player of the 20th century. Um, there's two players. Uh, they're from two different generations. Uh, Ken Climo is the, the top player in the 90s and early 2000s. He was still one of the, and then the, if not the top player. And then Paul McBeth is the player of the last um, the last 10 years who's been on top. And right. that, that's the ongoing debate. That's the Le- Le- LeBron versus Michael debate. I would, I would, I'm the Carl Malone. <laughs> okay. That's a good, that's a good place to be though. <laughs> I, I, I've had such a great blessed life. I mean, I, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. So um, I certainly wouldn't gauge my success by not being one of those two players. Cause there's been so much more. I've been very lucky. So um, Carl Malone, Carl Malone did well for himself. I do well for myself. <laughs> right. Uh, I guess it would be fair to say, though, that you are the greatest evangelist for the sport and, and getting a per- person who's waving the banner of, of of the sport and getting more interest in it. Uh, would would I be correct? In- I, I don't, you know what? I, I'm part of a large puzzle full of a lot of people doing different things. I've probably brought more eyes in the special needs community on it, um, but there's there are so many people that have been promoting and growing our sport for years. I, I would, I would never suggest that I've done more than them. There are thousands of people out there, um, local clubs and local tournament directors and, uh, that have all done it, done it in their community. And I'm not being humble when I say this. I mean, there are so many people that have, that have dedicated their lives to our sport. I, I have not done more than them. I've just done my part. Well, I've heard of you, and and now when you say there's so many people out there, it makes me feel even more naive. Why? And uh, you know, I, I'm not. I'll take it because maybe I am naive. But why do you think? Uh, why do you think that that pe- there are people like me who are just oblivious to this sport until until I met you? I didn't even know it existed. And now I'm learning about it. But why do you think there that is that so many people like me still exist? Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna give you an honest answer only because I know people in New York respect honest answers. I, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> um, honestly, there's not a lot of people like you. <laughs> okay. Nowadays, our, with our sport, the the very very rarely do we meet someone that hasn't heard of it. Um, because of where you are, um, in Long Island, it's a little bit. It's not as big out there. If you were anywhere in the Midwest or the South or on the West Coast, you've heard of it. Wow. Um, and by the way, you, you say you haven't heard of it, but you've seen the targets, right? Or, or is that just since you met me? I've seen what? You said you've seen the targets. Did you see them at a park? Or oh, you, yeah. No, I was doing research on you to see what what exact when some when somebody first mentioned you, I said, "What is disc golf?" And I had to go around. I'm looking at pictures at it, and I saw the basket. I said, "There's no way I would ever get a frisbee through that cage." Honestly, <laughs> like, uh, nowadays it is it's just about everybody's heard of it now so i think that you might officially be the last person (laughs) (laughs) okay well you know what then i'm somebody special at least (laughs) by the way it's it's forgivable though because because it hasn't gotten that mainstream press on traditional mediums that if you don't live somewhere where there are courses that you see and if you aren't on YouTube looking up alternative sports, where would you have heard of it, right? It's right. not yes every Sunday morning like ball golf or it's not on, you know, ABC every Saturday afternoon like bowling. So, like, you know, it it makes sense. But, the, yeah, if you're in the Midwest, 
like in the Dallas Fort Worth area, for example, there's now about 175 courses in the Dallas Fort Worth metro area. Wow. So like if you lived in DFW, you've heard of it. There's you, it's unavoidable. You see them driving down the highway every eight miles. You'll see a park with baskets. So. Well, we are over the hour. I just got one more question. And I guess I'll let you go. But is it affordable? Like, if I if I wanted to get started tomorrow, all I really need is a, a to buy the discs. You know, maybe a, a pair of uh, spikes or something, <laughs> golf shoes. Uh, but all you need all you need is one disc to play. Uh, typically, if you go down and you buy a starter set, it's going to have three discs. You can get for about thirty bucks. And that's the only, there's, there's no barrier to playing our sport. Uh, but the reason why it's so appealing um, initially is the barrier to entry is non-existent. It is accessible to everyone. So if you have some discs, you can play. If you go out to a course, and I'm not making this up, you go out to a, a local course tomorrow, look for a player that has a bag full of discs and go, hey, well, I thought about giving this game a try. They're going to just hand you a disc. Our community is like that. And so, you know, and they'll probably invite you to, to play with them too. Well, cool. I, I might just I might just do that when when it warms up. It's not quite golf disc uh, disc golf weather here yet, but it should be in a, a week or two. We're looking forward to it. But Scott, thank you for uh, putting up with uh, my my dumb questions and help get educating me on this. And I hope some people will check out your website, your book, and uh, your podcast. And and maybe uh, we've kind of uh, helped get get the word out about it to people <laughs> to, to one or two people i'm sure there's one or two people like me out there <laughs> anyway so you were you were definitely the last one that hasn't heard of it but but honestly you didn't ask a single dumb question they were all great questions they're all questions that there are people that don't know don't they're good questions so great well thank you for coming thanks for for put, putting up with the uh this, this this nonsense here and uh i i wish you great success and continued success thanks yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. Bye, bye for now. Scott Stokely, folks. Uh, and I hope you uh, learned something. Of course, you didn't learn what <laughs> this golf was because you knew and I didn't. But at least we discovered one thing. I am very special. That's that's my big takeaway from tonight. I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you tell your friends about it. Come back, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Go to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. And go to MindDogTV.com and get them on the mailing list so you know when we're going to have interesting guests like this on. And questions and comments always for me. Info at MindDogTV.com. I look forward to checking out uh, Disc Golf a little more. I know a, a couple of times I said Golf Disc, Disc Golf. Uh, it's still, it's still kind of new to me, folks. But uh, what can I say? I'm a little slow. <laughs> Anyway, that's our program for tonight. Thanks for coming. I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time, I have a gentleman with me who has written a book about John Prine, who is one of my idols, really, a folk singer, songwriter who died of COVID early on, I think about a year ago or probably just about a year ago now. Bruce Ritz Gilbert will be with us tomorrow. He's uh, got a John John Prine tribute and has written a book about uh, John Prine. So look forward to that tomorrow at 1 p.m. Till then, I'm Matt Napa from the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Have a great night and bye for now.